Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Spotlight podcast. We are down here in the Student Media Depot in W.T. Young Library in the podcast room. My name is Marcy Adams. I'm here with the Strategic Planning, Communications, and Project Management team of ITS, and we have our very first panel discussion on our Spotlight today. Um, today, we're going to talk about the Firewall Project. Um, and I have three gentlemen with me who have worked very hard on this project, and I'm going to let them go around and briefly introduce themselves. Guys, you start. I'm John Lewis. I am the Cloud Operations Lead. Uh, Colin Baker. I am the Network uh, Design Engineering Team Lead uh, with ITS Networking and Infrastructure. I'm George Esco, Director of Cybersecurity. Awesome, guys. Well, I want to thank you all, first of all, for being here first thing in the morning to record with me. I really appreciate it. Um, to start off, I'm going to let Colin, you take kind of just describing what this project is in general, what the Network Edge Firewall is, and uh, what y'all did to it. Absolutely. So, um, you know, just in general, the way the university's network connects to the internet and, uh, you know, kind of the broader uh, number of networks that are out there in terms of research and uh, internet too and those kind of things, um, that's done at what we call the service provider edge. Uh, and so what we have is, in general, a firewall. And this is very similar to kind of the firewall that you would have at your house that sits in between your home network and your ISP's network. Ours happens to be um, just larger and broader in scale. Um, but it, it does a couple things for, for us. It allows us to use what we call private IP addressing. Um, it, it translates that private IP addressing to public IP addressing. Um, and then also it, it protects us from, you know, kind of unauthorized access to the network. It, it has a means of filtering out what traffic is allowed to come into the university um, as well as go out of the university. So um, we have some kind of older hardware that we're interested in replacing. We, we've got some various reasons for doing that. Um, but this project has been a project to, uh, to kind of replace that firewall um, upgrade that hardware um, and, and there's a couple reasons we did that we're trying to provide uh, added capacity we're trying to provide um, better redundancy um, we're trying to provide scalability and growth for the future and then we're also trying to um, provide uh, Georgia's security team with a way to um, enhance uh, our, our security posture to, to be able to look for advanced cyber threats um, to be able to help protect the data going into and out of the enterprise um, and, and just in general, bring that platform up to a platform that can serve us for the next, you know, five to seven years. John, explain how this kind of would affect a customer experience, like what they're going to see when it comes to the firewall. As we've all come to learn, the Internet is a scary and dangerous place. And it was extremely important um, that our organization has the best technology that can protect our users and respond quickly to threats. This is, this is extremely challenging in higher education because higher ed is known for having open networks and unpatched systems. And in particular, we are known for having high value targets uh, with a ton of just student and patient data that, that we store. This is extremely attractive to hackers. So again, it was extremely important that we selected a platform that wasn't just doing the same old thing, like simply just blocking the bad things and keeping that out we wanted to ensure that the new firewall had advanced technologies that could monitor, that could analyze, do threat analytics, all this stuff in real time and help us to quickly remediate those threats and possibly even through some type of automation. Um, we thought that the Palo Alto was the right platform to deliver these features. And ultimately this allows our users to have great confidence when using our network and know that we are using the best technologies 
uh, within the market to protect them. Awesome. Uh, George, I'm going to let you follow up and talk about a little bit more from a cybersecurity perspective. I mean, I know this is setting groundwork for your team, but how do you really think it's going to affect what you all do? So the way it's going to impact our team is it's going to give us more visibility into network traffic, um, seeing what's coming across our, our borders and being able to act on it and not only close to real time, but to automate a lot of the threats, reducing our workloads and letting us focus on things that are um, important instead of just chasing down um, a lot of false positives. The um, next generation firewall that we've chosen is a, definitely a step up and um, a step in the right direction for the university. Um, not only does it allow us to get that, you know, figure out where the security problems lay and correct it with defensible architectures, but it also um, allows the network team to help um, understand what traffic is going where, when, and how, and why. Um, so it's going to be a big boon for um, the university in general by um, just having better throughput, better security, better visibility. Uh, it also um, will impact the customers in a couple of different ways. Colin mentioned the, the fact that we have increased um, the bandwidth. So I'm sure a lot of users during the day have seen that um, connection speeds to things like YouTube, um, Vine, and other um, media outlets where you're streaming media kind of um, slows at some points during the day, usually about 2.30 to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Hopefully that goes away. We think it will. Um, also, you, you may see some more security banners popping up. If you go to a malicious website and we see it, it's going to be blocked. We're not going to allow you to get there any longer. If you download a malicious file that you may not know is a malicious file, let's say that you recently wanted to pick up Dungeons & Dragons with your kid, you don't want to buy a, um, a, a dungeon manual or something, you download a PDF, um, you don't know if that PDF is, is dirty or clean. The firewall will allow us to inspect it, and if it's dirty, we quarantine it. And if it's good, it passes. So it protects not only the, the institution itself, but the individual student, faculty, manor, faculty member, or employee. So it's going to be really good for everybody, I believe. Just kind of elaborating on what George said there, you know, the, the way firewalls have historically operated in the past is what we would call port and protocol based, meaning that in general, the firewall blocked most traffic, and then you went in and you created an exception to allow certain types of traffic, and that may include things like web browsing or DNS traffic or things that you need to operate on a daily basis. And, and what we're seeing in, in terms of a cybersecurity threat is that um, the, the threats are learning to use those ports that they know are going to be open, right? So if they know that an enterprise has to allow outbound internet access, they're putting the threats in the replies to those internet access, or they're putting the threats inside of DNS traffic. And so what this firewall is really allowing us to do is inspect that legitimate traffic that we know we have to permit through the firewall to allow the university to function for these advanced threats. And just to provide an example of that, we, we migrated our guest network, um, which was behind a different firewall platform in December to the, the Palo Alto platform. Um, in migrating that, this, the same rule set really applied um, in, in terms of what traffic was considered legitimate and what traffic was allowed. And what we saw in the first 30 days that was that we blocked more than 10,000 threats that we would have allowed before in the previous topology. And that was solely due to the Palo Alto being able to look at and examine that traffic 
and take action on the fact that it was seeing you know, threatening DNS entries or threatening web browsing traffic or anything like that. So those are the types of things that we're doing. I think overall the impact for guest users has been um, a positive experience. We haven't really had folks reporting that they're they're seeing a lot of block banners or anything like that, but what we're doing is we're blocking that on the back end and they're not, it, it's just not ever affecting them, so. Great, well I know we're still somewhat in a early phase of this project. Um, but I know you all have been working on it for a while. So um, talk about how it kind of started from, you know, getting new equipment in to kind of where you are now. Yeah, so we, we really started uh, early in the spring last year, and that would have been, I guess, 2018. And, and what we did was we wanted to ensure that whatever hardware we bought was capable of being a platform that we could utilize for the next five to seven years. Um, obviously, the advanced threat protection services are great. But if we can't accommodate the university's need for bandwidth and the ability to go into and out of the edge, which is where all of this traffic to the internet goes, then the platform doesn't do us a lot of good. So we really wanted to make sure that um, we felt comfortable with the solution that we were purchasing um, and that, that we felt like the solution would meet our, our needs for the next five to seven years. And so what we did is we, we worked with our vendors that we uh, were considering for this project, which was Cisco and uh, Palo Alto Networks, and we had them send us demo hardware um, early in the spring. We essentially built a full-scale replication environment um, for both vendors, um, and then we brought in uh, Spirant Networks, who is a um, kind of, uh, what they do is you know, essentially throughput and bandwidth testing. Um, and so we brought them in to help us analyze the platforms and to compare those two platforms uh, one to the other. Um, that gave us a really good chance to sort of see how the user interfaces were, to understand you know, how the, the firewalls themselves are configured. We had the vendors here to help us to make sure the platforms were set up properly to, to perform how we expected them to perform in the test. Um, and, and it really just gave us a better feel for what we were getting into from a, from a purchase perspective. Obviously, this is a significant capital investment for the university. Um, it's something, as I mentioned, that's going to be around for an extended period of time. So we really wanted to feel comfortable with the purchase. Um, ultimately, we wrapped that up in the early summer, um, and a recommendation was made that really both platforms would, would probably function adequately for the university, um, but that there were some reasons to pick Palo Alto over uh, the Cisco product. Um, part of that was uh, the, the things that they included in, in terms of their overall package of services. Um, so like with that, that process, we got a resident engineer who's going to be on site here with us for a year to help us mature our, our security posture over time. Um, and then additionally, having a dedicated support staff that we can call uh, essentially 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year that's familiar with our environment. That's not just a normal first level kind of help desk technician that's, that says, okay, well, have you, have you turned it on and off again, right? Like, so, you know, we, we the, the package overall that, that Palo Alto presented was something we were really impressed with. Um, and, and so we went ahead and made that purchase uh, in the summer and started receiving the equipment um, in the fall. And then um, at, at that point started trying to get the equipment deployed. So where we're at at this point in the timeline is that guest traffic has been migrated. Um, that's been working through the new hardware um, since like the 20th of December. Um, 
what we saw there was roughly a 100% increase in the amount of guest traffic that was able to flow through that firewall. So prior to um, migration, we were seeing about two gigabits per second worth of traffic, and we're now seeing about four gigabits per second worth of traffic. Um, since kind of coming back to campus in January, uh, we've been working with Palo Alto to develop a migration plan to move off of the sonic wall um, and move onto the Palo Alto hardware for the majority of our production traffic. And so this is really everything that goes into and the out, of, out of the internet, um, both for campus and healthcare. Um, we expect that process to take maybe 90 minutes to complete. Um, honestly, we're hoping that it goes significantly faster than that, but we've prepared kind of our partners within healthcare um, and, and spread the word throughout the campus community that um, we're, we're looking at trying to take a 90-minute change window to complete that activity. Um, that'll involve us kind of copying over all of the existing policies that are in place on the sonic wall, um, both from a security perspective and a, a network address translation perspective, um, and then moving the routing to allow the, the traffic to, to flow through the Palo Alto firewall instead of the sonic wall hardware. So um, that's where we're at from a migration perspective. Um, and then going forward after that, we're really going to be looking at um, the security of the platform. And there will be kind of additional changes coming um, maybe a month after we go live in, in terms of um, starting to implement some of the next generation features like antivirus inspection, like IDS, IPS. Um, and, and then over time, we'll look to tune those features just to provide optimal experience for, uh, for the users and then also for the hardware. How does this project compare to maybe other higher education institutions? Did you all look at any peer institutions when deciding to implement this? We did. That was something that Palo talked to us about. There are a number of, of peer institutions out there, um, you know, a number of different conferences. Obviously, the SEC, LSU is using Palo Alto. Um, there are some other uh, kind of Big Ten schools using Palo Alto. I know, um, like, I think Penn State is on Palo at this point, and uh, Yale is going to Palo Alto. Obviously, they're not a Big Ten school. But um, th there were a number of higher ed customers out there um, utilizing this platform. We also reviewed the Gartner data uh, on the product, and, and Palo Alto is really a leader in the, the next generation firewall um, market space. Um, so, you know, we, we looked at, at quite a few different elements as, as part of the purchase decision, um, and, and we really felt comfortable with the product before we... So for those who don't know, you three actually are technically within three different teams within ITS. So this project really did span kind of all of our ITS resources. Uh, talk about how the collaboration worked for this project, I mean, and how you, you kind of leaned on each other to get this going. So our core team met multiple times, I think a week, to cover uh, multiple subject matters. We, we pulled in different uh, kind of service owner pockets. We got feedback from uh, the community across campus. Um, I mean, we were able to discover, I, I think, some weaknesses in our processes uh, and other, uh, other areas where we could improve within our organization. And this allowed us to build basically a framework for ongoing and future projects. Great. So I only have one more question for you all, unless you want to come up with more. Uh, what do you all see as the future for this firewall project and, and what it will do moving forward? I think for the um, security team, it's going to allow us to automate. You know, I've already talked about this before, but automate a lot of the tasks. It's going to give us 
um, better insight and telemetry uh, across the threat spectrum, allowing us to change some of our processes and procedures and create some defensible architectures where we can knock down giant huge problems instead of playing whack-a-mole across the board. Um, I also think that it will allow us to better utilize some of the tools that we already have. Um, one of the things we haven't mentioned is the fact that Palo Alto has a very diverse and um, deep connection with other vendors, allowing us to use the tools that we have and allowing us to get a lot of synergy out of the firewall. Um, I think that will be another thing that will happen um, sooner rather than later. Um, I can't speak for the network team but um, or the operations team, but I think I know that's what's going to happen with the security team. And from a cloud operations standpoint, we're looking to extend the Palo Alto firewalls into our cloud environments, into our cloud platforms, um, not only into, say, Amazon's AWS or, or Microsoft's Azure, but also into Office 365, because now we have the ability to, to inspect the traffic, like Colin mentioned earlier, um, and so we can start to correlate uh, user traffic here on campus with user traffic in Office 365 to help protect those users as well. Yeah, what John really points out there is that the thing that we really like about this platform is the visibility that it gives, and I George really points this out as well, um, but the, the visibility that it gives us into the traffic that's that's moving across the different areas of the network. Obviously, with cloud infrastructure and, and with users being located in a number of different environments, both you know here at the university and across the state as, as part of UK's broader reach, um, the, the challenge is for us is to try to inspect all that traffic and try to try to have an understanding of both what the traffic is and then what threats are present in the traffic. And, um, you know, as, as John mentioned, if we can get these platforms built into the cloud and we have the ability to inspect some of the traffic that's, that's moving into and out of the cloud, um, it just gives us a better opportunity to sort of see um, what's going on and to make sure that our data is truly protected. Um, the other thing that I think is really kind of game-changing for us is that at its heart, the, the firewall is no longer really a port and protocol-based firewall. It's really an application-based firewall. So what this is going to allow us to do is, is look at applications and take, take action on those applications kind of on, on a different level. So if you take Netflix, for example, we have to permit Netflix, right? We have, we have a student population that lives here. They're here 24 hours a day. It's not really right of us to tell them what they can and can't do with their internet connection essentially in their home, right? So, um, but, we, but we need to make sure that we balance that with the performance for the rest of the network and the rest of the universities need to be able to have that resource up and functional, right? So if we have, you know, Netflix traffic impacting everyone's experience, there, there may be things that we can do. So say, for instance, we might want to take the, the, the subnets that represent our classrooms, and we might want to limit app Netflix application traffic for those subnets only um, to some specific rate so that it's not impacting um, the university's ability to fulfill its mission throughout the day, right? So those, that's an example of, of a way that we can use the firewall in, in sort of a different way to achieve an objective, but then still allowing people to do what they need to do throughout the day. Um, also, making it a user-aware platform is going to allow us to, to better secure the data. So we might be able to put, you know, segments behind the firewall um, that contain sensitive data. And rather than 
having to have rules for that firewall be based on where a user's IP address is, we can actually map that to um, a specific username. So, you know, if, if John happens to move from WT Young to the parking structure to the Hardyman building, his firewall rules will essentially fire follow him, you know, throughout that movement. So if he, he's accessing, you know, a website or a system that's, you know, behind a firewall for, for whatever reason, as he moves throughout his day, that firewall rule will go with him rather than just sort of staying at, at wherever the source address was that, that that rule originally was created for. And, and back to the app ID, Colin, uh, it, would, it would be also true to know that we can block an application or, or what Palo Alto deems as an application that we see as a threat. And we can block that across the board based on an app ID. That, that's absolutely correct. And we, can, we get that feed intelligence data from Palo Alto. Um, but we also have the, the ability to create what we would call a custom app feed. So if we have a, a specific application that lives in our data center, we know how it works, we know how it functions, we can go in and create an application ID to recognize that and permit that or um, you know, limit access to that application based on the actual application signature, again, rather than source and destination IP, um, which we know kind of can leave holes uh, out there in the security policy. So one thing we talked about was inspecting traffic, and um, the Palo Alto does give us the ability to look at traffic, but it's not an individual or group or a team looking at traffic. We're not going through and looking at everybody's single conversation on the, on the internet. It's more akin to have driving your car and having your dashboard giving you alert saying check oil or check engine light. And that's the kind of alerts that we're getting. We're letting the firewall actually do the inspection for us, and it's on known signatures. So if it sees something that's bad or um, raises some kind of anomaly inside the firewall, that's when we inspect the packet. And we don't get down into the conversation level. We just usually look at the bad signatures and um, the bad IPs or the bad URLs. So it's... Uh, nothing to akin to like the NSA or us breaking open an encryption looking at it and um, it's on one-off occasions when an anomaly actually fires and I think that's an important distinction where we're not as uh, IT is not spying on um, our user base. It's basically like uh, George when you say kind of like um, your antivirus that you would run on your computer for your network. Yes very it, similar yeah right. like on your computer when it pops up with a with a detection that's when the investigation starts. Right. So with any of the traffic that's that's going through the firewall, what we're seeing in every packet um, that goes through the firewall is we see kind of metadata about it. Like we see the source IP that it might have come from on campus. We see the destination IP uh, to where it may be going off of campus. Um, we see some some generic header metadata is, is essentially what it's called source and destination port. Um, and this information is really what we're looking at. As George mentioned, we're not looking at the, the payload or the content inside the packet. We're looking at the header metadata to, to make a decision about, um, you know, is this domain or this specific IP known to be a bad or malicious IP? Mm -hmm. um, is the, we, we can also look at some heuristic type data. So is the behavior of this specific IP something that you would consider threatening? So is it doing something like, scanning every available IP at the university. Um, those are the type of things that we're looking at. It's, it's a lot less about the content and, and more about the metadata um, that, that we're trying to 
perform that inspection on. And most traffic over the internet is encrypted anyhow. We cannot see, even within a packet, the, the encrypted data. Correct. The, the payload is generally encrypted, and that, that header data is, is data that has to remain unencrypted um, in order for you know the routers and the switches that make up the internet to, to do what it does. So that's the data that we're looking at to try to make these decisions. Right. One thing we haven't talked about is um, we talked about the process of building this team and building and looking at it, the firewalls. But since we have this new technology in place, it's going to change how we functionally do business on UK as far as network. Um, we have been able to sit here at UK for a long time and use old technologies and procedures and policies that probably should have been updated when the times change. We haven't done that a lot of times and you'll start to see that this process and this technology will help us implement, you know, I've, I've mentioned the word uh, architecture or uh, architecture in, in depth or defensive wall architecture. Um, those processes because of this firewall and gap analysis will start to take hold and um, improve things. You know, certain legacy protocols may go away but a lot of the new protocols that have been implemented across things like Office 365, um, our network access controls will start taking place and taking over and it will offer a better user experience for our end users. George's team faces a number of challenges in terms of having to be the representative for the university for things like DMCA complaints, um, for things like PCI compliance, you know, any, any number of regulatory uh, sort of agencies that, that kind of control what we do. And so this firewall is really going to give him the ability to kind of um, better accommodate those requests and ensure that we're complying with the regulations that apply to us. Um, for instance, we, we've created an, an architecture that's going to allow the security team to kind of dynamically block and remove blocks for specific IPs as, as they need to go through that, right? Like right now, what has to happen is that George might receive a DMCA complaint about somebody downloading, you know, copyrighted media, and he'll have to work with the firewall team um, or his team will have to work with the firewall team to get a rule put in place to block that. And that process can take some amount of time to do, maybe a day, two days. Um, this, this new process that we've implemented is going to allow them um, to drastically reduce the time that they can do that and do it automatically on their own without really having to involve the firewall team. They'll just have a, a text file that they can update on a web server, and the firewall is going to go and check that every five minutes and see has there been new stuff added to this list, um, and if so, add it to the, the firewall policy to block that traffic, or you know, if, if somebody has had a virus previously and been blocked and then gotten that cleaned up, worked through the help desk, then they can unblock that and, and, have, and restore that service within... Uh, about five or ten minutes. So we're, we're looking to try to automate as much of these processes um, as we can just because of the number of threats that we have to deal with. So after the cutover and Colin's done his work, we'll be monitoring this for any kind of impacts to um, our user base. If a user does have uh, problems or they've seen a system going down or it's acting um, kinky or strange, uh, the best place to get help is 218 Help at the UK Customer Services Desk. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for coming and talking to me this morning. This is a super important project and it's protecting us all from potential threats and hopefully giving us better performance for a network that we all share for various different needs here at the university. Um, so with that, I'm going to leave you and thank you all for listening to our podcast. Thanks. Thanks.